Hello and welcome to Things I Wish You Knew, the podcast, where we share real stories of pregnancy and infant loss straight from the bereaved parents themselves. Baby loss is such a lonely experience, but we don't have to go through it alone. Your stories matter, your babies matter, so let's talk about them. I'm your host, Laura Rizzo, stillbirth, miscarriage, and living kiddo mama. You'll never hear me apologize for my grief, but you'll definitely hear plenty of unfiltered thoughts and raw honesty. So buckle up, get your tissues handy, and let's talk baby loss. Today's episode of Things I Wish You Knew, the podcast, is all about hearing things from a dad's perspective. I sat down with my husband, Pete, to hear Nico's story through his lens. It's wild how differently two people can experience the exact same thing. Pete's bio isn't all that different from mine. He lives at home in Massachusetts with me, (laughs) our two living kids and dog. He works as an HR consultant, and he's the best dad ever, but I'm a little biased. So without any further ado, let's jump on in. Hello, husband. Hello, wife. My love. <laughs> Thanks for agreeing to to do this with me. It makes me very happy to do this with you. Yeah. Um, close to Nico's third birthday, and I think this is the first time we're sitting down with each other to, like, share his story, or for me to hear it completely from your perspective. Yes, I have thought about that before this moment and I'm a little nervous about it (laughs) but it it is gonna feel good to share it I I mean I I told a few loved ones like around the time that it happened you know Mm. kind of the story Um, but it's been a long time since I've talked about it out loud and and certainly the first time doing it with you yeah interesting yeah well whenever you're ready I would love to to hear Nico's story and your perspective on it and your experience. Okay. I think I'm ready now. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. To this day, I uh, can't hear a reference to the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood without being completely transported back to this entire experience. Mm. The night before we went to the hospital, we had sat, you know, we were sitting down watching. I mean, we don't do this very often either. Like sitting down in our living room after Luna's bedtime to watch a movie Mm -hmm. and like a new movie. I think it was Oscar nominated that year. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so we're watching the movie and I don't know. I think you had said it earlier that day. But you, you said something about how Nico had not been very active that day, the night before that morning, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like at that time, I would, you know, trying to stay on the bright side, like it's probably nothing, like just watch the movie, try right. to get your mind off of it, Um, which might be one of several lessons I learned in the process of like misplaced mm-hmm. thoughts um but anyway so we watched the movie good movie great great ending 
um, when um, the next morning, and I think overnight, you you had trouble sleeping that night because you were really preoccupied with the movement or the lack thereof. And um, this is when, like the be- in the beginning the beginning stages, it's kind of a blur. But basically, we talked a couple of times, and you called the doctor. And they advised you to go to the hospital to get checked out. Not that it was an emergency. I don't think you gave me the impression that it was an emergency, even though we were going to the hospital and they saw us right away. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think, you know, that entire morning, even as freaked out as you must have been and and like increasingly, I was still like a coin flip in my head. Like, you know, it's, it's either okay or it's not okay. Like, why wouldn't it be okay? Right. So, um, so we get to the hospital and I just had this really vivid memory of like walking down this long, like through this big atrium and like getting met at the doors of the maternity section. Yeah. Yeah. And that was when I started to sweat a little. We've side note, we've had like really, we've had like really shitty experiences with doctors and hospitals and yes. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to say, like, we were treated so well from the moment we got there. And like that, and it, that moment just really reminded me of it. But um, this, uh, this really nice nurse met us and brought us into an exam room and performed an ultrasound right away. Just got right up on the bed, started up right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I don't know, like, again, this is my memory. I wonder if yours is different, but I remember like sitting there waiting for a while. And I've come to learn later from what you've said that you basically knew right away. Yeah. That was not it for me. Like I I was sitting there and I could see the dread or the emotions on your face, but I'm just holding your hand and we're not really saying anything. And I'm just waiting for someone to say, yeah, there it is. Yeah. I knew that you didn't know. I just wasn't certain, you know, and I didn't want to go there. No, I know. You know? But I remember it very, very similarly where no one had said anything yet, but I knew from looking at the ultrasound because to me, he was, he was just still and there was no movement. Yeah. And I could, but I could also tell that without looking at you, I could tell you didn't know yet. And in that moment, I couldn't look at you. Right. Because I knew I would fall apart if I did. And I knew and you would be able to tell, like by looking in my eyes, if that makes sense. And I think that, um, I think in that moment, I was thinking you didn't want to look at me. Or like you didn't want to look up. You know, Mm -hmm. I just thought that you were, I think... I haven't really thought about that in the yeah. longest time, but I, I think that was my feeling in the room. Of course, there was a lot going on. Mm-hmm. So, um, or I should say a lot going through my head. The So the nurse is there, and then they get like another person to come in. And I think it was a third person to come in. And by that point, I was, you know, certainly not a coin flip anymore, but I was still holding out hope that somebody would say something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm sure words were exchanged in that period, but like, I didn't hear anything other because it wasn't, you know, a definitive answer on what was going on, what they were looking at. So I remember seeing a nurse bend down and kiss you on the forehead and say, I'm sorry. And then 
I looked up and I asked something like, is there any hope or is there any possibility that, you know, yeah, something like that? Like, I, you know, just tell me if I should hold out hope, <laughs> basically. Yeah. I remember you saying, is there anything that can be done? Yeah. Or like, what can be done? Something like that. Yeah. And she just looked over and she said, no, I'm sorry, honey. Mm-hmm. And then they gave us some time to just get fucking destroyed, you know? <laughs> so um, that was really, really awful. That was just super duper awful. Yeah. So after the initial, you know, moments go by, I remember also thinking, it's so different for Laura. Mm. I think it was from that point forward that I was really kind of plagued by like the, I don't know, I guess the graphic reality that we were forced to confront. I'm glad that like there's a space to talk about it just because who wants to talk about like a thought about a dead baby floating inside of your wife, you know? Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like to imagine like that being in me, like it was uh, anyway. So there was a moment like, so I'm destroyed and I'm like having all these thoughts and then I'm thinking about you and trying to relate to you in a way that's like impossible. But we were to our credit, really, really great. You were great at like, you know, just holding it together enough for me, you know, and I think, I think we did that well with each other. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of weird at that point we get, like, we leave the hospital, like, you know, you're still pregnant. You still have this big belly and we just kind of go home and start preparing to come back to the hospital to then deliver. And that, what they gave you some pills or something like to put to put it in motion. Um, so we go home and then we you know we tell some loved ones and try to arrange for care for Luna and, and oh my god Luna yeah so she was what two she had just turned two mm-hmm. just the month before yeah and she was just old enough to be excited to have a sibling and just young enough for this not to be as traumatic I wouldn't describe her experience in all this as traumatic the way it is with us right but she was just young enough for it not to carry that weight but just old enough to you know remember certain things about mom being pregnant and you know she remembers being excited about being um, about having a baby brother on the way so mm-hmm. and yeah I mean we had to explain <clears throat> to her like that there wasn't a baby in my bed, like after the fact, yeah. you know, and that was hard to explain to a two-year-old. Yeah. It's a little bit ashamed to say this, but um, it's also, you know, obviously understandable. I don't remember much about, <laughs> you know, I don't remember Luna much in this whole experience. You know, I, I just, I do remember thinking about how difficult it would be to be a parent to her. So we contact some loved ones and um, packed a bag. Did we go that night or was it the next day? It was that night. That night. Uh, So we go there and you go to the hospital. And, you know, for those of you out there who don't know how this works, um, (laughs) you basically get labor induced. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
um, Nico was 31 weeks along, so he was a baby. Uh, he would have been viable mm. under other circumstances. That word. So that's tough. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, yeah, because he was so far along, or because Laura was so far along, um, you know, the way to get it out is to deliver it. So, so we're basically in the hospital, in a hospital room with privacy and a TV and, um, and we're just waiting for several hours watching Family Feud, <laughs> breaking down every so often, you know, one of us at a time and the other helping them out. So other context, right? So that was during the pandemic and I had some difficulty at work and, you know, it was a distraction and I kind of, I took some things for granted about the, uh, the pregnancy, you know, you know, not as uh, gung ho about like feeling every kick or something, you know, things like that. Um, so I remember, you know, really, really breaking down about that and feeling guilty about that. And then, um, so anyway, so fast forward, it gets time for, uh, for delivery. And I think that we had talked about this, but like, what's Nico going to look like, you know? And, and like, aside from the obvious of like the horror about what's going to happen, it's like, well, what, what don't I know? You know, and there's, there's all kinds of like fears about that. You know, they talk to you about what, you know, what the medicine's going to do to you and how long it's going to take and then what this is going to happen and how many people are going to be in the room. Um, and then, um, you know, so Laura, the goddess that she is, delivers beautiful Nico. And um, they kind of whisk him away quickly. Mm. I saw, I basically saw his legs like they, they were holding him and they kind of carried him away and I saw his legs. And then the next time we saw him was a moment, you know, a few moments later, they had wrapped him up in a swaddle. Um, and that was when we got to meet him. Yeah. And that was the most difficult. It was the most strength that either of us, I think, ever exhibited to be able to deal with all of that, all the emotion and pain, and still have this outpouring of love for poor little Nico, you know? Yeah, I feel like, I feel like in that moment or those moments that we had with him, it was like we still had to be those strong parents for him. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's like we, it, it was like, um, out of a sense of like pride and like meeting the moment as like, you know, doing your duty as mm -hmm. a parent. You know, right. I, I, and I, I felt you know, for all this shit that we were experiencing, I mean, I was kind of proud of that for both of us. Yeah, to talk to him and, and sing to him sing and to kiss him, him yeah. just to love on him. Yeah. To hold him for a long time. 
It's the only love he ever, you know, received. So, he received it, for sure. Physically, the only love. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, people, of course, people loved him, but the only affection he ever received, let's put it that way. So, um... So the so meeting him was, you know, like that, and then um, we had I don't know how much time we had with him. Maybe it doesn't look feel like remembering back. It doesn't feel like it was a long time. It doesn't feel like we were robbed of anything, but it was just like I don't know, maybe an hour, maybe forty five minutes, something like that. Does that sound right? Yeah, you're drinking water, but it's okay. <laughs> um, no, it was. I mean, it was at least an hour, if not more. That first night that he was born. And then the next day we we spent more time with him. One thing, I almost almost moved on without talking about how we talked about taking pictures with him. Yeah, it was a conversation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you, yeah, you had, you had thoughts. Yeah, I had like reservations, you know, it's, it's. Um, it's a credit to you to have had your head on so straight this entire time about what's important for Nico and like doing things that you would regret not doing. Mm. Like, and this is an, and the reason I say it like that is because like I could have with someone else, like allowed us to move forward without taking those pictures. Yeah. Out of a discomfort or whatever. Yeah. And I don't ever have a an urge to, you know, take out the book and look at him. It's it's tattooed into my memory. I don't really need to, but but we can, and and I can, and there will be a day where I do want to crack open that book and look at his photo. Right. And on the on the flip side. So we have a photo like that you never look at. Like, what's the big deal? Like, take it, you know, yeah. like, like, right. You're, you're not, not going to regret, you're not going to regret the photo being there and you not wanting to look at it, but you're going to regret not taking the photo and right. then wanting to look at it. Right. 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 And there's no more, like, there's no morality to that decision. It's just do everything, you, like preserve everything you can. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you have an issue then don't look at it, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Um, so anyway, that all of that happened in, in a matter, you know, we had a conversation about that and that was kind of ultimately where I landed, thankfully. So we took a few photos with him and then it's kind of like you call on the nurse and like they take him mm. and like, you know, he's set aside while we sleep and then the next morning they're like, okay, do you want to see him again? And we saw him again. They brought him in, and we and I think we had him for about an hour and a half, mm-hmm. a couple hours, something like that. And it was during that time that um, we wrote a couple of letters to him that we ended up leaving with him. Yeah. And we packed up a box of things to be cremated with him. Wow, I forgot about leaving the letters with him. Right. And they were cremated with him. Yep. Yeah. He right. looked a little different. The next day. Yeah. Um, which, you know, kind of gives like a baseline 
um, darkness to, you know, the same experience we just described about the night before. Or at least, again, this is kind of bringing it back to me. Anyway, we um, we talked to him some more and we sang to him some more. And then the most difficult moment, the most painful moment of our lives, mm. when we call the nurse to, hi, we're ready for you to take our son forever. You know, we're ready to leave him behind and leave the hospital. Yeah. Um. Because the next time we saw him after that was when he was in a baby urn. And that just really, really sucked. <laughs> it did. That sucked yeah. really hard. And like on the way out, we just feel the pity of every, I, I felt the pity of everybody. Everybody was so great, like, you know, compassionate and empathetic. And, but yeah, it's like the kind of tragedy that happens to you where nobody knows what to say or do. And everybody, you know, loves you and, and wants the best for you, but they also have no idea what to say or do because the truth is nothing's really going to help. And, you know, the whole let me know if you need anything is BS. And other people who actually do, like they, they bust down your door to help you, um, you know, they, they don't want to disrespect you. So it's a really tricky territory to be in as a loved one um that's kind of you to um empathize with the loved ones in a situation like this well because you feel like you're on an island you feel really alone yeah as someone as you know as myself in this experience mm -hmm. and i think i've you know i had I saw a lot more people than you did because of going back to work and, you know, handling a few things, you know? So maybe it was that, like, I was exposed to so many more people saying whatever they chose to say. Mm -hmm. That, it just kind of reminds me of, like, such a stark difference in our experiences is, like, not only did you go back to work with people where I was a stay-at-home mom, so I was home with our daughter, so not only did you have those more of those interactions, but also just people in general, family and friends would reach out to you mm -hmm. and not to me. So you definitely did get more of like the human contact, right? Yes. Like whether it was a coworker or whether it was a family member, like people were reaching out to you or saying things to you, whatever it was. Right. And for me, it was like crickets. Mm. Right? Yep. Yeah. But it's just an interesting point, right? Like just yeah. the like, difference of experience. Right. Because I was like, I was the husband of the person who had the stillbirth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I didn't experience the loss. Yeah. But you did. Yeah. Like, I mean, of course I did. But I came to, like, looking back on the experience, I got a lot of sympathy. Like, don't get me wrong. But there's a feeling, whether it's self-imposed or other people, like, imply it or whatever, that, you know, while Laura is recovering, you're going to have to carry everything, mm. you know? As Carry, if you don't have to recover. Right. As if I don't have to recover myself. Yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah. Right. And I was going to say, isn't it interesting in a messed up way how people do look at it like that, the way you said, like you're the husband of the woman who gave birth a stillbirth rather than you're the father of a baby that died. Right. Right. And I just want to like point that out for you in this moment, but like, like I see you and I acknowledge that because like, that's so messed up. And I like am mad at the world that they didn't recognize that for you. I also, maybe I'm being generous again, but there's a lot of like self, uh, you know, like doing that to myself. Like that might've been, and this isn't to like backtrack from what I said. I mean, I think a lot of these factors are all at play simultaneously, but I think part of part of it might have been a coping mechanism on my part. Like, I think for the most part, my energy was like I was like channel trying to channel it into other things. I think. Mm. Um, but anyway, so back to the story. It's all part of the story. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so I remember coming home from the hospital. Um, and TJ and Sarah were there, my brother and his wife, cause they were, they were watching Luna while we were in the hospital. Um, so they were the first people to see us, um, after, you know, after returning home. And by the way, um, my brother and my, and our friends down the street, um, completely plowed our driveway. There was a huge snowstorm. <laughs> while we were in the hospital, all this was going on. It was like, like a state of emergency type of snowstorm. And, um, my brother TJ and my friend TK came over and come and, and, you know, shoveled and plowed our entire driveway and walkway. So we were comfortable, you know, getting into the house on the way. Anyway, that was very nice of them. Yeah. Um, so we get inside and, and TJ and Sarah had served Luna some soup and Luna was just totally happy, completely ignorant and that like hit me right away i remember her sitting there she was just totally happy like tickled pink uncle t sarah's here gabby gabby was there yeah which i'm i'm not trying to hijack but i don't know if you had a similar experience to seeing her so that was their daughter was with them and she was not even one at the time not even and that just like broke me all over again it was like moment after moment after moment for me like that just you know broke me down with with nico and it was like you know parking in our driveway and then getting into like walking into the house empty-handed it was like all these things and then i remember like you know tj gives me a hug and sarah gives me a hug but when sarah gave me a hug she was wearing gabby on her back like baby wearing on her back. And I tried to avoid it. And I had to like close my eyes and turn my head because it was just like a gut punch to like walking in our house without our son who we just gave birth to, to have to literally be like nose to nose with another baby. Mm. And that, sorry, you bringing that up just brought me back to that moment. Um, yeah. 
And it's rough. Yeah. And it's like those things I don't think other people think about, about how like seeing a baby could be that impacting. But it was like the last thing I needed, you know? Right. It's really, that makes perfect sense. And and I feel that with you as you describe it now. And it's striking how different my perspective was in that moment. Right. You know, like it didn't. Like, I barely noticed Gabby was there. Like, if you had told me she wasn't there, I'd believe you, you know? Mm. Um, like, what I remember is walking in and just wanting to, um, just really looking forward to putting my arms around Luna. Yeah. You know? I just remember wanting to just beelining it for yes. Luna. Yes. Um, and then I get up and I turn and I look at Sarah, who you know, was going to give me a hug and I saw her lip quivering a little bit and, you know, she kind of gave me this look like, I don't know what to say. And I just gave her a hug and, you know, thanked her and, you know, TJ, you know, you know, bro hug, whatever, no big deal. And, uh, and, and that, and that's it. Like, I don't know if I have any other memory of that interaction exchange or whatever. Like I just kind of remember coming in and hoping they left quickly because I don't want to have this moment last any, Right, yeah. We weren't ready to... So, um, yeah, and then there we are with Luna, and we're all home again. We came up with this, I think it it might have been that night that we came up with this code, pineapple. Yeah, I've never talked about that. So, we... Really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God, I feel like that would be in, like, the headlines. So, we... um, you're, You're... So, you're in this... And I'm sure anybody who's listening to this, like they probably, you know, if they've gone through this, they know what we're talking about. Like you're really like a zombie in your house. Like you're, you're mindlessly going from staring at the wall to getting a drink of water to, you know, making sure, you know, making sure, Oh, uh, uh, where's Luna? <laughs> you know, like, um, so we would often be like, what do you want for dinner? Or, you know, do you want to do something today or something like that? And it's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't care. You yeah. know, I'm depressed. Right. I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to get dressed. Yeah. I don't want to shower. I don't care about anything. Yeah. More so, I think it boiled down to like, I don't want to make a decision right now or I can't make a decision right now. I need you to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so we came up with this code, code word, pineapple. So like if I asked Pete, what do you want for dinner tonight? And he just wasn't capable of like thinking about that or making that decision or just anything. Yeah. He would just say pineapple. And I'd be like, okay, I know right now I need to step up and just like make that decision for us. Right. Whatever it is. Right. There's no wrong answer. It kind of helped us. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So let that be a tip for all you, uh, (laughs) all you couples out there. Yeah. Pineapple. So, um, yeah. So that was the beginning of our recovery and then, oh my gosh. And, and, you know, then we start making funeral arrangements, Mm. um, which was also, Okay, here's a unique part of the experience. When we're in the hospital, it's like, well, what do we 
what do we do with Nico? Like, I don't know how I phrased it, but I basically asked one of the nurses that question. Like, what do we, what happens to him? What do we? Yeah. What, <laughs> like, what do I, we I do? We've never had he, to think about that, let alone. Right. Plan it. Like it's, in a day. Just, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's like, do you treat, do you treat a, you know, Nico's body like it's an, like an organ that was removed or do you treat it like he's a human being? You know, and like, it, it's weird. Obviously, I know the answer to that now, but in the moment, like you're not thinking about it okay. or you hadn't thought about it Free. before. Okay. Yep. So, you know, and so I guess I'm, I'm brought back there. It's like, well, you know, how do you phrase a question like that? How do you, you know, you got the nurse there and you're thinking of it and you're so scared and nervous that like, so that was yeah. the and craziest question that in, came out of my mouth. In fairness, though, to that crazy question. Because I did just like make a face when you said that. And yeah. I'm sure. Well deserved. I'm sure anyone listening in too is like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. But in after hearing you explain it, it makes sense. But also in the moment, you, I remember you asking that question before he was born. Like before we held him. Yeah. Before yes. you saw yes. him. That's, thank you for that. That's, and that's so probably I, a really good point to make. I think like you, it, it was easy, easier for you to like still just think of him as like something that was inside of me. Yes. Versus our baby. I, I really appreciate you clarifying that for reframing that because that's exactly what it was. Yeah. After holding him, I mean, there was no question at all. Yeah. You know, he was a full, and full he, blown baby. Exactly. Exactly. And I had yeah. no idea. Like I thought, yeah. like I had, like, again, like putting myself before seeing him in real life. I'm like, does he have translucent skin? Am I going to be able to look at his, you know, okay. am I going to see him as a person? Okay. You know, based yeah. on his appearance. Yeah. So again, really graphic stuff. I can't believe I'm saying this stuff out loud, but like, those are the, just the crazy thoughts that like, like you question. Like you literally are like, what I I wonder, and I'm scared about what the answer to that weird, gross question in my head is, mm -hmm. you know? And of course it doesn't matter. Like you come to learn <laughs> that none of it mattered in the first place, but um, I guess you fixate on the things that you're, mo you know, you can kind of relate to or comprehend better or something like that. And um, I wanted to be able to hold my son without being distracted by anything, like without being without feeling like I'm anything other than his father. Mm -hmm. So those thoughts were in my head because I was really scared that, the, you know, that it wouldn't be the case or that I'd be incapable of that. And that was really scary. And like, obviously other emotions like shame associated yeah. with that. So um, anyway, yeah, it's heavy stuff. It's complex. And it's, I feel like I've been talking for hours about this, like <laughs> just cause there's, there's so much to say. And yeah. I just, it's, um, it's a lot. Like there's, a lot. there's, parts of of Nico's story that I haven't even gone into to details of because it's a lot yeah. and like yeah I you know haven't talked much about the funeral and I know you're gonna share about that mm. and it was very different for you than it was for me you know another interesting part of the experience for me was um you know he, he we were, you know, people wanted help. They want to pay for things. They want to provide things and, and stuff. And I just remember having a lot of resistance to that, like as a matter of principle. Like it's one thing people can bring dinner or something, you know, bring you a meal. Um, But I just really felt compelled to 
own and provide yeah like like nico doesn't know any of these other people yeah you know like nobody else should be doing anything for nico yeah i think for me it was like we're never going to be able to pay for anything for him ever again right yeah exactly like we're not paying for college we're not paying for after school activities like yeah this is the one the one shot (laughs) like if it drains our bank accounts that you know i don't care you know i'm gonna bury my son Mm. um anyway that's another tangent but you know it was one of those things you know um and another thing i remember that's like a vivid memory from around that time is realizing that people try to do things for you like I said before, because they love you and you know, they care, but they also try to do things for you because it helps them feel better. And there's, I remember feeling kind of some resentment and anger toward people about that. Mm. Like they feel uncomfortable around you because of the trauma you experienced. Yeah. So they want to do something that helps them not feel uncomfortable around you anymore. Or makes them feel justified in not having to be around you anymore. Yeah, I gave them a gift and I'm going to give them distance now. Right. Um, And the distance really spoke, I know that spoke to you a lot from from people that you, you know, that were in your orbit. Oh, yeah. Um, And I kind of, and I think we we see that differently too. And this, this isn't like a problematic disagreement, I don't think. But I don't know, I think I automatically like give the benefit not benefit of the doubt but um because i don't like i don't have the doubt you know it's like i feel (laughs) i assume everybody's intentions are good and that they're honest when they say they care about you and and, you know i try to empathize with the feeling that i probably would have if i were in their shoes which is i don't know what the hell to say or do around you like because i know i can't help you feel better and i just feel terrible that i can't make you feel better so anyway Again, complex and heavy, and every little, every individual relationship is different. So you can draw a broad brush and say everybody's like that because, you know, everyone's probably having similar thoughts and, you know, conundrums about what to do to help you or to be there for you, to support you. Um, some people do it a lot better than others. Don't get me wrong. But um, it's really hard. Like, it's hard for us to go through, and it's also hard for loved ones to love you you know, in a way that helps. Anyway, that's, I can, so we have making, somewhat of different yeah, perspectives on this. I'm making a this. face. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. And I feel bad. Like I feel, I feel bad about that different perspective. I don't know why, cause I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah. Um, I guess I just feel bad that, like I, I think that that would be a weight off of you, like a weight that you wouldn't carry, mm. you know? Yeah, and no. it's out of control, you know, so it's not like that. But I just I, that's why I feel bad about it. Yeah, to me, it's it's too. It feels like too big of an ask of me to just say, oh, they mean well. Right. Like that got really old really quickly for me because I found myself saying that about everybody in my in our lives like daily, Mm -hmm. whether it was a comment or whether it was silence or whatever it was, like they mean well, they mean well, they mean well. Like I I couldn't do it. It was like more of a burden on me. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
like the comments are one thing where like like oh they're in a better place or whatever like you know those kind of comments like that's one thing because like if you're saying it to me at least i can say to your face no right and like let you know that is not what i need and that is not helpful but the silence is totally different Mm -hmm. and like i can't empathize with those people because to me it's like just show up in any way even if you're saying the wrong thing that's better than saying nothing yeah and i don't like it yeah i we do we definitely see that that differently or approach it differently um yeah like i i wouldn't i know you're not saying anything even remotely close to this but i, I wouldn't wish anybody else to have the trauma that we to go through the trauma that we went through. Absolutely. The only way that anybody's going to even possibly relate or understand to what we're going through is by going through it. Of course. So, yeah. Absent me wishing that on people, mm. I'm going to have to be understanding to a degree about the limitations of people's ability to comprehend what we're going through. You know. And Right. But is like is a Google search. <laughs> yeah, that's not too much. <laughs> that to ask, hard. Right. Yeah, right? No, you know what not. I mean? Like like we all have phones in our hands at all times. Like, is it really that hard to be like, what do I do for a friend whose baby died? Or like, you know, to even just text and say, like, hey, I'm thinking of you. Yeah. End and, of text. And, and like that. It's worth it, repeating. Right? I got a lot more of that than you did. You did. A hundred percent. So I I felt supported. Like not it's not like my extended thing like fully supported me but like i felt supported i felt the love yeah like and whatever i received helped yeah helped me yeah you know and i'm glad you had that um it didn't cure shit but it helped yeah yeah you know so um i feel i guess i feel fortunate yeah and Um, it's interesting i'm sorry i'm really not trying to, to hijack but it's interesting because that is something that we didn't really even talk about for a long time. And I remember it was like probably like six months after Nico died that we were talking about that, about like people reaching out and talking. Yeah, we had a fight about and it. And I remember, yeah, we did have a fight about it because like, and in that fight, it came to like fruition that you realized for the first time that I hadn't heard from anybody right. for oh six months. God. Yeah. And that's why it was a fight because like, right. I thought you knew that. I don't know why I did, but I thought you knew that you had no idea. That was, and I was blindsided by that. And yeah. 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 And how like, okay. Like side note for all the guys out there, all the, all the, you know, significant others out there. What's the playbook? Like, what do you say in that moment? <laughs> you know? Uh, oh my, and, that, and again, like, worth repeating. That was six months after it yeah. happened. So, like, there's a lot of things that we we still weren't... Like, we were pretty good at communicating with each other. Yeah. About Nico and about our grief and how it was really different. But that was one thing for whatever reason we just didn't talk much about early on and Mm -hmm. i i think it was because like we did kind of see it differently where i was like nope like if you're gonna stay say stupid stuff i'm gonna tell you it's stupid and if you're silent then like see you later 
and you kind of took issue with me having that outlook on it. And I think, I, I think looking back, that's kind of why we didn't talk about it. Other people. Yep. Like no, that's fair. in detail. Yeah, totally. That's fair. Um, this is interesting. This is interesting. See, this, <laughs> you, I'm sure it's evident that we have not talked about this like this ever or in a long time. Yeah, in a very long time. So uh, we were just kind of preparing to talk about the funeral. And I started writing Nico's eulogy. I knew right away I wanted to say something for Nico. Um, yeah, it was like a no-brainer that you were going to speak. Yeah, I just, yeah, yeah, for sure. I couldn't stomach having anybody else speak at a, at a ceremony like that. I mean, at the very least, if I wasn't able to speak, or if one of us wasn't able to speak, but I knew it would be me. We're not incredibly religious people, like so having a priest do something or say something wouldn't have done it for us. Yeah, you know? I mean, he did, but I don't, yeah. I couldn't even tell you what he said. Yeah, we had never met the guy. I don't know. So, yeah. Um, you do some things like for other people to, like, I don't know, if, I don't even know if we talked about this, but like, you know, you got everybody, everybody who loves you either, and again, this is during the pandemic, so arriving in person, but also attending remotely. And I don't even know what the attendance was, but I know people came, like, people came to see the ceremony. Yeah. So, if other people want to pray for Nico, I welcome that. I guess that's the only point I'm trying to make. So there's a priest who said something, Father Father Rodney, I want to say Rodney. Very nice man. Short. <laughs> He's a short a fellow. short, but he was a nice guy. <laughs> um, reading that eulogy was up there with those painful experiences. I remember kind of slobbering through my mask. And I also remember Father Rodney coming up to me and shaking my hand and saying, you are so brave or strong. I think it was strong. You are so strong. Um, I still read that from time to time more frequently than I probably would have predicted. It like brings me back to when I was feeling kind of most deeply like when the wounds were you know open widest mm. and um you know it reminds me of the letter that i left for nico that i mentioned before and, you know <clears throat> i have this um i think i said before also that i have like kind of the image of nico you know holding nico in my arms and looking in his face like that image is just really tattooed on my brain. Like, um, it's probably legitimately, it's probably PTSD. Like it's like a flashback to that moment. I can just like see a poster of his face in my eyes. Um, and his eyes were open. Yeah. His eyes were wide open. So I see him staring up at me. And, um, yeah, so we, we selected a, a little urn that's got sky blue with some clouds and there's a, a dove on it, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a baby urn for a baby, for a baby. So Nico sits on our uh, on a shelf in our living room with like some other effects for him. Photo album. Do you remember? And this, just hearing you talk about the funeral made me remember this for the first time in a long time. Do you remember sitting down with the, like the funeral director and we had picked out an urn and he asked, and I'm really glad he did. He asked us if, if we still wanted a, like a baby casket out. And he made the point, he's like, You know, like a lot of people, they see this tiny baby urn and like they just can't wrap their heads around that it was a baby. Yeah. He was like a a full-blown person. But when they see like that baby-sized casket, like essentially like they're able to like empathize with you better, right? Yeah. And I I think for, for me at least, it it was helpful in being like, see, he was real. Like, yeah. you know, not, not that... this little pepper shaker. Right. Which is the size of the urn. Yeah. Um, and to have that like physically there, even though his body wasn't in it, like it was an empty casket, but like for our family that was like present at the funeral home and like anyone who was watching virtually, like, to me, it was like proof, like he was real. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. you remember that conversation with him, but I do it just now that you say. I, I would never have thought of it, but yeah. now that you say it, I do remember that. I'm and very I remember grateful. us talking about that. Like I'm glad he asked that. I yeah. wouldn't have even thought to suggest it. Right. Um. The other, th- the last thing, he was such a nice. I can't. I, I feel terrible. I don't remember his name. Um. But he. Um, he shook our hands at the end of the funeral and he was crying for us. Yeah. And here's a guy who lives it's his, with, it's it's his, his job. It's his it's, business. It's, like he sees the he sees death all day, every day. Um so that really made us feel like shit. <laughs> like oh, we must really this must be a really tragic situation. <laughs> A funeral director can't keep it together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyways, you know, these little, there are these little snippets that are like really vivid memories. And then there's this space in between each of them. Because like I said, like you kind of just get into this zombie zone and yeah, it's like just every trudge on. Everything's either vivid or it's a blur. Right. So the last thing I'll say about the experience as like, you know, in the aftermath of all that is um, there's this phrase that has stuck with me since around that time. Kind of once I, ha- I had this realization about it and it's just that the world continues to spin. And it doesn't make me happy. It certainly means that I have like suppressed or deferred grief and emotion But because, you know, your employer has to open the next day or, you know, 
a family member has a birthday or you know life two-year-old is sick the trash has to go (laughs) out you know like things like that like as as you know whatever small scale large scale um and i just i kind of feel like it was a blessing and a curse but it was a realization nonetheless because it was like you kind of just tell yourself that and it justifies all the you know it, it justifies why i have to suffer while everybody else has a normal life justifies it explains it doesn't justify it explains it well yeah like i was saying before like i'm like when we're talking about loved ones reaching out or like whether or not it's it's enough well they got bills to pay or they have to go to work or you know they got soccer practice or you know they you know their mother-in-law's sick or whatever like the world spins like all these little Mm -hmm. all these little orbits are all kind of separate from one another on this planet you know so when our orbit loses a piece of the nucleus i think i can carry this analogy for a while yeah Um, (laughs) you know so when you when you lose a piece of your orbit it it doesn't necessarily impact anybody else's orbit in any major way right so what am I going to hold that against? Like I'll hold that against the world. I'm not going to hold that against our loved ones, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that plus I needed to feel that way. That's another thing. Like the circumstances yeah. were such that like I had to go back to work. Yeah. And, and I was, you know, easily for all the wrong reasons, cause it was a really bad work situation too. But because it was a bad work situation, that was somewhat of a distraction too. So, I'm just remembering it was January 28th, three days before Nico passed that I got my HR certification. Like I took the exam and I passed it Mm -hmm. and it was like Thursday and Sunday Nico passed away. Yep. So I took that certification and I started trying to find other work and everything. And I had been, you know. I'm so glad that test was before. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Imagine if it was like Monday. You were up studying like. And that was like, that's like one of those exams that like, yeah, it's like proctored professional. I had to like, (laughs) (laughs) we'll talk about that on another podcast. It was like this crazy (laughs) issue with the test. Anyway. um, So anyway, so later that summer, I ended up getting a new job. So there was that. And then the onboarding, like the, the orientation and getting into a new job. So there was that distraction. And like, meanwhile, I'm like coming home from work every day to you who of course had a much different experience. Like I have no idea how difficult that was for you. I had my own difficulties, Mm -hmm. but I was distracted by work for most of every day, you know, not out of sight, out of mind by any means. I was still suffering a lot, but it was yeah. distracting, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I imagine, I can only imagine how, how the absence of stimulus might have impacted your recovery. Mm-hmm. And I say absence of stimulus while also reminding myself and stating the obvious, which is like you're taking care of a kid the whole time too. Yeah. So... Um, 
I love you and I live with you and <laughs> you're my best friend. We know each other better than anybody else, but I still can't relate to much of our shared, you know, our life. <laughs> you know, like, it's yeah. not like that. We're apart. It was very different, very different experiences for us. And those experiences shaped us like over the course of that period. Like we are certainly different people now than we were completely before Nico. Completely. Before Nico passed. Um so so yeah, and then that's that struggle continues. You know, I mean it's we're not certainly not zombies anymore, but um I shed tears for Nico during this conversation. Mm -hmm. And before this conversation I shed tears for Nico earlier this week. Mm-hmm. And, um, and his birthday that, on the first snowfall in the first yes yeah for sure <laughs> and as it happens every year because the snow yeah you know so um for everyone out there this the the first snowfall of every year just brings me right back so again uh probably another symptom of ptsd but um I'm not a doctor, so we're all we're all just we're <laughs> self diagnosing. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're all just gals talking, you know. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. So I thank you for for this conversation. You know, thank I you. had absolutely no idea what it, like what it would feel like or where it would go. Yeah, thank you for sharing your side of things with me. It's interesting to to hear it from a different perspective, but also to then be reminded of different things like that I haven't thought about. Yeah. Heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. Love you. Love you. Pineapple. Pineapple. <laughs> Before we wrap things up, I do want to ask you, about a few things that you wish people knew. Okay. So as as a dad, what do you wish people outside of the baby loss community knew? I have this is tough for me because on the one hand um nobody deserves to go through this. Um the ignorance that people have over the experience and, and like the, you know, what, the, you know, what the trauma entails is a blessing. Like that ignorance is a blessing. Um, so maybe that's what they should know. Mm. Um, but aside from that, um, every little, every action, any action, any choice that you make with love in your heart is a good one. So don't let the grief or the fear or the uncertainty, don't let any of that paralyze you from taking action to support the people you love. Yes. I like that. Because, you know, it's really easy to, tap a phone screen a hundred times and send a text message. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, so, but even that is an action, you know, and if you do that, you know, small actions done a bunch of times 
you know, can have a, an impact. Yeah, they matter. Um, they matter. Every little thing matters. Do big things, though, too. <laughs> I like that. Thanks. So what do you wish people within the baby loss community knew or understood um, from the perspective of a dad? Well, don't um, don't discount the dads. You know, like don't um, don't forget. Like, you know, I was standing in the in the hospital room with one arm around Laura and one arm and one hand holding her hand, and you know, I saw my son, my lifeless son, come out of her and like. I go back to that moment. I describe it as a way of explaining like there, it's a very traumatic graphic experience for a dad and for all the love and, and compassion that I feel for Laura. And then I'm sure guys out there and, and, you know, I'm sure it's the same out there with couples out there. Um, I think there were moments in my grief recovery where I really kind of felt like my pain was, I never felt it wasn't like legit, um, but it, or valid, but it certainly felt secondary. It, it felt, it never mm -hmm. felt as deep as Laura's. It never felt like it was perceived as, well, I wasn't the mom who lost the child. So like, yeah, like I'm sure that sucked Pete, but, um, you know, you're going to be there for Laura. Right. So, um, and of course I was happy to be, so I don't want to keep qualifying or backtracking, no, no. but, um, anyway, don't sleep on the dads. So, um, but there was another thing I wanted to say, which is also, um, just, a something we mentioned earlier, which is, um, let people love you the way that they love you. Um, don't stress, don't take on the burden of until you're ready to handhold people through how to help you. Mm. Um, yes. And while there's a lot of disappointment there, that doesn't mean that the love isn't there. And that doesn't mean you don't have people. It doesn't mean that they don't love you. It doesn't mean they don't want to help you. Um, and, you know, the last thing you should be doing is feeling sorry or, or bad for how other people are feeling while you're going through this experience. I'm not saying that at all. I just mean, you know, a lot of things can be true at the same time, you know, and, and the day before your loss, you didn't know anything about loss either. So um, it's a long journey for people to understand what you went through, but they're really only going to understand if you're around. And if they're around and if you're together um, and if you share. So um, it's not important that you share right away or anything, but it is, in my experience, it's been helpful to, you know, get, uh, allow the opportunity to emerge where you can sit down with someone for long enough to be able to, you know, under the right circumstances to mm -hmm. share what you went through and, and help them understand, Yeah. you know, and if you need to help them understand, 
how they failed you, you know, like, so it doesn't happen again or so that they can be better in the future. Um, every relationship is different, but, um, it's, it's easy to, to get lost in a cave by yourself in this experience when you're feeling grief. And just because other people can't feel the same thing you're feeling doesn't mean they, that their love or their presence won't be helpful for you one way or another. So, so don't sleep on them either. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good point. Um, and again, like we've, we've already shared, like we have slightly different outlooks on that, but I do agree with what you're saying. Um, and I just hope that everyone listening has those people that will then listen when you want to talk and when you want to explain or share your story. Um, because not not everyone, and I just wanted to make the point that not everyone even that loves us, not all of those people are willing to sit and listen and be just let themselves be uncomfortable mm-hmm. so that they can understand better. Um, and that's unfortunate. Uh, but I hope that, you know, everyone has at least one person that is willing to, to sit and listen. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing any of us wants to do is tell a hundred people the same terrible story over and over and over again, you know? Um, I'll tell it over and over well, again. I yeah, get to say Nico's name. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, from our experience, which is unique, you know, I mean, so take what, take whatever's valuable from it. Um, um, I can, I mean, I, I can think of people right now who, like you, when telling them how I feel or how something that they probably thought was harmless was actually kind of harmful. Like you can see the look on their face when they real, like, Oh, when it clicks with them. Mm -hmm. Um, and and that's been healthy. Like I've had, you know, maybe two or three conversations in particular that have been really, really helpful. Yeah. Cause again, it puts them in a position where they can actually help, like to be helpful with what they say and do rather than inadvertently triggering you. Right. And I've had I've had a few conversations like that, whether it's explaining to a friend how their absence impacted me and like hashing all that out and being able to move forward in a way where they now include Nico and they talk to me about Nico and they don't, you know, shy away from it. Um but then, you know, there's the people that like, I'll try, I'll say Nico's name and I can see they're uncomfortable and they change the subject right away. Yeah. Um, and those are people in our family, mm-hmm. like so loved ones. Um, so some people are just never going to be open to hearing and talking and learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when you, when you have those moments where you see it clicks in them, it's to, you know, and it can only click to a certain degree, Right. But when you have those moments, it is, it is meaningful. Yeah. Meaningful. For sure. Yep. My last question for you is what do you wish, if anything, that you personally knew before loss? This is so hard. Like the question is so hard because like my first thought is always like, 
I don't want anybody to need to know this. Yeah. You know? Um, I, w- I mean, I don't even know how you could know this, but I, I wish I knew... I wish I knew the spectrum of out of like reactions that people out there might have. Mm. Like I mentioned, I had like some difficulty at work at the, around that time. My boss said something and I heard this from a lot of people, but like, I remember from my boss saying it, like, I, I just didn't know what to say. So I didn't, you know, like the reason I haven't talked to you much lately is because I didn't know what to say. I felt so bad or, or whatever. Um, that I never like, I never would have imagined that like that experience I went through, like that pain that I went through, that, that hell that we shared, that that would impact somebody else's treatment of me mm. in like a negative way. So that was weird. Like that, that was like, yeah, that was like depths of depression around that time. Cause that was some months after, or, you know, like in the first few months after it happened. Um, and you know, that had ripple effects at work and stuff. So like, that was, that was, that was really terrible. So I wish I knew, or I had a better, and again, I don't know how I could have known this, but yeah, no. like the spectrum of outcomes that was possible for people to react or, or treat you or whatever when, when that was going on. Um, and I knew when it happened that it was going to test our marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish I knew how to best, like, I, I wish it didn't take me so long to make some of the realizations that we've been talking about because I didn't, you know, again, as a dad, like I didn't live the experience the way you did. I didn't grow the baby inside me like you did. And so just that, that lived experience, like there are like, I don't know, I feel like there are instincts that you have about how to talk or feel about something Nico related that wouldn't be my first instinct. Mm-hmm. but are correct and like i'm like oh shit like you know i'm still learning or i had a lot of moments like that in the first few months following i wish i knew of a way to honor nico that i would actually feel like is a way to honor nico like around his birthday's coming up this week and we talk we've talked several times in the past about things that we can do to celebrate or commemorate his birthday. And I, it just, you know, everything feels not good enough or arbitrary or it's difficult for me to find meaning in any of these things because we didn't get to spend any time with Nico. We didn't get to know Nico. We didn't get to raise him into any, anybody. And that's the experience as a dad. Like that's, you know, that's where my job starts. Like I didn't get, I didn't get to start my job with Nico. Mm. So I guess I wish I knew, like, I wish I thought about that. Like when you think about, you you know, when you're pregnant, you never want to think about, you know, a bad outcome, but what a bad outcome actually means for a dad is that you know the mom is a mother in you know, the moment that she has a baby in her womb and i'm sure mom feels like a mom as soon as changes in her body you know can be felt or perceived by her 
you know, I see a pregnancy stick and then I'm, you know, I do what I can to help you while you're pregnant. But I think the, the father instincts that like primal connection with Nico, like you got that and I didn't, and I wish I had known or thought about that. That is like such a sad, depressing way to end this. Um, um, for the record, I had never thought about that before. Like yeah. that just kind of came out. But I think that's a huge factor in my difficulty honoring Nico. Like, yeah. not 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 difficulty honoring him, but difficulty deciding how to honor him. Right. One thing that I have said to this community is how just because our babies have died, like, doesn't make us any less their parents. And, like, we're still parenting them. It's just very different, and it looks very different. And so the only reason I'm saying that right now is because you said, and it's really struck a chord with me, how My job your, job didn't didn't, start. your job didn't start. Yeah. And I feel that I do like, and I, I am not discounting that and I'm not, I'm not at all saying you're wrong because I totally understand that. And that breaks my heart to hear that. Um, it's just like, you got a different job. Right? Like, it's like a different, and it's one we didn't want. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I get what you mean. But, like, yeah, now it's, like, finding different ways to parent. Um, Parent him by living well. Parent him by being a good parent for for Luna and Julian. Yeah, by saying his name. By saying his name. By doing things like in his honor too and talking about him doing this. Like Yeah. So I, I'm saying all that just to to say like you're you know, you're still you're still doing the job of being his dad. And I love you. I love you too. Thanks, Bubby. Yeah. Well, tune in next week. <laughs> well, um, I'd like to say thank you. Um I was able to process some grief in talking this out. So thank you. Um, sometimes it feels better than therapy. Cheaper than therapy Cheaper too. Cheaper than therapy. Um, no, I, I, I just, um, this is a great thing that you're doing and I'm really proud of you for the community that you are building, that you have built. I'm proud of you for launching this podcast. And I hope it's successful. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm glad you agreed to be on here and to sit down and talk with me. I know it's different talking to me about it than it is talking to anybody else. So yeah, it's better. You can fill in gaps. I'm like, well, who said that? Yeah. And maybe, maybe we'll like flip it and reverse it sometime. And then I'll like share parts of my experience with, with you for you to, hmm. you to interject and you to, you know, understand a little bit better too. I like that.
Wow, that was a long one, but a good one. Thank you so much to my lovely husband, Pete, for joining and sitting down with me and having that uncomfortable conversation. Honestly, most of the people that I talk to within the loss community are people who have physically gone through the loss themselves. So being able to talk to a dad, to someone who wasn't the one physically giving birth and hearing that side of things and his perspective and grief is really eye-opening and really interesting to me to see the difference in what we remember and how we remember it just because of what our lived experiences were in the moment. So I encourage you all to talk to your your partner if you haven't and sit down and hear their side of things and share. And again, thank you, Pete, for being here. We will definitely have more conversations one-on-one on this podcast in the future and hopefully more dads and more partners joining on other episodes as well. As always, hate that you're here honored to have you. This episode is brought to you in part by Little Words Project. Little Words Project aims to inspire and encourage people to be kind to themselves and to pay that kindness forward one bracelet at a time. Not only do they have tons of cute bracelets with affirmations, they also offer custom bracelets, both beaded and their new dainty gold line. I personally wear my custom beaded bracelets with my kids' names on them every single day. Use code BALOSSMAMA at checkout for 15% off your order. Again, that's B-A-L-O-S-S-M-A-M-A at checkout for 15% off any order or see the show notes for the link to take you directly there.